0: what is up divers welcome in to the deep dive fantasy football podcast where i take a deep analytical look at fantasy football and combine it with a common sense approach to lead us to some titles i'm your host brandon gabor and before we get started remember you can follow me on twitter at deep ff instagram at deep dive fantasy football and as always check out the website deep which is always popping during the off season with that being said let's get to the content What's up divers? Welcome into Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Holy dude. Dude, that Browns Ravens game was absolutely insane. Guys, if you cannot tell, I'm bringing the heat. I'm bringing the energy. I'm recording this about 2 minutes after the game just ended, and that was the best game of the year. Hands down oh my gosh I have no notes I have nothing on this game prepped this is all off the cuff and we're getting it going and we're bringing the energy whoo Baker Mayfield brother I am so sorry I am so sorry you deserved this win the Browns fan base Browns fans you deserved this win But I gotta say, that is why you pay top dollar for an elite kicker. Justin Tucker just won the game of the year where the teams combined for over 80 points. Two teams that are run heavy, run centric, keep the ball on the ground and run out the clock. Just combined for over 80 points and it came down to who had the best kicker. Tucker on one side, hitting the buzzer beater from more than 50 yards out in a cold game that is hard, and Cody Parkey, who you could chalk up the loss to his missed field goal from 39 yards earlier in the game, and wow. So yeah, we're talking about Baker Mayfield first. I love Baker Mayfield, and you guys might be saying, Brandon, what? You don't love Baker Mayfield. You talk bad about him all the time. This is how you know that I am not a biased person. I love Baker Mayfield coming out of college. I loved him in his rookie season. And then since then, he has played pretty bad. And in the beginning of this season, he had played pretty bad. The last five games, this was the first one where he had an interception. The interception, I don't even blame him for. Honestly, it was a bad pass. Yes, it was a risk-reward situation. And he decided to take the risk because he has been rolling the entire game, has been playing amazing, and he thought he could squeeze it past a big, unathletic compared or relative to most of the guys on the field dude, and he wasn't able to. He wasn't able to squeeze it past him. But honestly, I'm willing to live with that. If I am Stefanski, I'm willing to live with that. And if I'm Baker, I'm willing to live with that. But he played I mean outside of that one risk reward throw, that coin toss that he lost, he played a perfect game. And let me tell you, if the Browns if the Browns play like this, if Baker continues to play like this because he was not erratic, he was not inaccurate whatsoever in any pass in this game. This game was played perfectly if their offense is able to stay to this level they could be the second best team in the AFC behind the Chiefs and guys i that was a tough game i watched i loved watching every second of it i hated how it ended but i also love how it ended it was crazy but aside from Baker Mayfield my guy Donovan Peoples Jones I mean, this dude, I think it's clear, guys, he's got some talent. And, you know, I'm not going to touch too much on this, but it was just running through my head, the Odell Beckham situation. I mean, I wonder if there's weight to that. And look, I'm not saying Odell Beckham's not great. He is one of the best receivers in the league. But there is something to the fact that when you have an elite talent, sometimes you feel the pressure to over- Maybe not say overuse, but you feel the pressure to force the ball to them. And maybe Baker Mayfield doesn't feel that pressure anymore with Odo Beckham gone. He doesn't feel like he, have to, he has to throw and force the ball to Odo Beckham when that's not the best decision on the field to keep him happy because he is a diva, as we know. And it's improved his decision-making. His decision-making has been better. Like I said, one interception in the last five games, and it was in this game. I mean, just sick game. Baker Mayfield, I love it. Look, I'm still not high on him for fantasy, but as an NFL quarterback, if he can just continue the play he's had over the past four or five weeks, the Browns team is going to be really good, and they're going to be set up for a pretty long time. They got a lot of good young pieces. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is the perfect replacement for Odell Beckham. Just keep Landry and Donovan Peoples-Jones there. you got Austin Hooper. You've got a really, really good offensive line. They're definitely going to re-sign Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, who by the way, by the way, Kareem Hunt was in on clutch time almost the entire game. Fourth quarter, it was mostly Kareem Hunt the whole time. And I mean, the final two drives that the Browns had was Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt was the one who capped it off with the touchdown to give them the lead before Tucker hit that crazy field goal. So I love Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb pretty much the same once again. I mean, you you know, they they both hold so much potential. I love them both. That's like, you know, I'm still trying to throw in my fantasy takeaways, but there's so many just NFL stuff I want to talk about this game. It was insane. Uh, Marquise Brown, Nate would hate this if you guys, you know, I know most of you guys listening probably know Nate. I've had him on once or twice. He's a Ravens fan. He would probably hate this take, but I really feel like Marquise Brown is not a good wide receiver. And my standard of good is probably higher than a normal person's standard of good. But I really don't see the difference between Marquise Brown and any random wide receiver that you find in the NFL that is really fast. Marquise Brown, tell me what Marquise Brown does other than be fast that is really good as a wide receiver. It's not his hands. He wants to whine and cry through the season about targets. And so many times in this season, I see him dropping easy, nobody near him, third down conversions, multiple times, over and over, he makes body catches, he doesn't try to catch with his hands, and even the lucky touchdown, guys, anybody could have made that catch, don't give me that, oh, that was a clutch touchdown, yada yada, anybody would have made that catch, and he almost effed it up, because he didn't even catch it with his hands, on the over the shoulder, he caught it with his body, skimming his shoulder, basically, I mean, that could have easily been... I mean, if he judged it, misjudged it by half an inch, would have hit his shoulder and bounced up off of him. So Marquise Brown, I really feel like the Ravens just need to give Lamar some more help. I really hope that they're looking for a wide receiver in the draft, in free agency, because Marquise Brown is not your number one. He's an, He'll be an okay two just because of the speed, but I really don't believe that he is anywhere near a very complete receiver. He's not the best route runner. He's fast, so it helps. But he's not the best route runner. He doesn't have the hands. He can't win 50-50 balls. He's not great on the sideline. I mean, what what is he great at other than being fast? I don't, I don't know. Could you tell me? Maybe you could, but I, that's just how I'm feeling right now. And it might be a hot take. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. But so we got Baker Mayfield being great. Marquise Brown, really just underwhelming. And... Then we got the running backs, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins both looked great. Lamar Jackson was really good. He got back to his roots, running the ball over 120 rushing yards from Lamar Jackson and was super clutch with it, got two rushing touchdowns. That was really helpful. I mean, Lamar's still great. He's still great. And if they get back to that, if they get back to letting Lamar just run, 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 which is super weird, by the way, when he went out with the cramps because he seemed fine. He, he never like limped off the field that I noticed or anything, and then all of a sudden, after the third quarter's over and they're coming back on the field, Lamar Jackson's in the locker room. That was super weird. Trace McSorley was there for two drives, and then Lamar Jackson comes back out and saved the day, which was awesome. I mean, it was a great play by him. But just overall, this game was so amazing. I had to start with it. I usually you know, start with waivers and whatnot, but guys, I had to start with this game. I mean, I am so hyped right now. I have so much energy, and I was like, fall, ready to fall asleep before the game started. Since the game has started, my eyes have ceased to close. I have not even blinked. That's how good the game was. It's insane. But with that said, all right, we got that that game out the way. With that said, let's talk about some waiver pickups. Not many, like usual, when we're this deep into the season. We got two. Lynn Bowden had over fifty snaps from the slot for the Miami Dolphins looks pretty good he is a gadgety guy i not sure why the Ra- Raiders decided to give up on him so quick maybe it's because of Nelson Aguilar and you know he has assumed that wide receiver one role as we all expected kidding of course Brian Edwards Henry Ruggs Hunter Renfro Hunter Renfro we all would have placed above him but nevertheless Lynn Bowden looked good for the Miami Dolphins they don't have great wide receivers they don't have any separators. Gesicki doesn't separate. Devontae Parker doesn't separate. Preston Williams, even though he's not playing this year since his injury, doesn't separate. So Bowden could be that guy that at least gets some sort of separation. And it seemed like Tua liked him. So that's definitely an interesting pickup. And then with Gardner Minshew back, Laveska Chenault is also worth a pickup because the dude is talented. And I'm starting to get increasingly worried about DJ Chark LaVisca Chenault should be the wide receiver one on that team with what I've seen from Chark throughout this year but we'll get to that later and yeah so that that's the waivers that's it that's all we got for waivers I will say that this was a very surprising week to me in terms of what I expected when we're talking about how the games went for fantasy I had I had a good day the Thursday podcast about my fantasy start sits was really good once again That's awesome. That's great. But I gotta admit, guys, man, I gotta admit, not great on the betting lines. We'll get into that. But yeah, the the games did not go the way that I saw them going. But you know, the, the most important part, right, what you're here for the fantasy football, part of it was still really good this week. So happy to, you know, be able to say that started but we're gonna go all the way back to the Thursday game with the Rams Patriots once Cam Newton threw that pick six I knew the game was over and once Cam Newton threw that pick six obviously I knew I lost that bet that was one of the five favorite betting lines that the Patriots would cover um plus five and they didn't they got destroyed manhandled Cam Newton was horrible got benched You could say he, you know, some of you guys might say he just got pulled out and they're committing to him as a starter for next week, so it wasn't a benching, whatever the case may be, doesn't really matter. The Patriots defense was nowhere to be found versus the Rams, and Cam Akers is looking really good. But here's the thing that was crazy to me. Out of nowhere, Cam Akers got 90% of the carries. This entire season, this entire season, the Rams have never committed to a running back. This entire season... The running backs have been sharing maybe with the biggest difference of like 65-35 when Cam Akers was hurt and Darrell was taking a lot more than Malcolm Brown. But then all of a sudden Cam Akers takes 90% of the carries and it has been a slow upward trend and then just took a huge spike for this game. It took a while but I think it's clear now and the Rams seem to believe this as well because the Patriots was a must-win game. They're still fighting for the division versus Seahawks. So by no means are they just like trying out their rookie. No, they're going with who they think is the best. And clearly they think that's Cam Akers. And he showed that that's what they should believe. He was amazing. It took a while, but he is going to be the workhorse next year and probably the rest of the season for the Rams. So at this point, if you have him, I doubt he's on the waivers. But if you have him, you have to start Cam Akers with their next matchups, which are pretty decent. And if he's getting anywhere near the workload that he got, in terms of 90% of carries, and still getting some targets, then yeah, you got to start him, especially because the Rams like to run when they're in the red zone instead of let Goff throw it. Cooper Cup was saved with a touchdown. Robert Woods was smothered by Gilmore. As expected, Jared Goff had 137 yards, one touchdown, one interception. This is the type of line I expected, but the lucky rushing touchdown saved him from having an atrocious day, And I did call him as a sit. It was still a good call because he's a quarterback and he only got 16 points despite having the rushing touchdown. 16 points for a quarterback is very bad. So that was still a good call, but man, imagine if he didn't get that touchdown that he just stole from Cam Akers, which man, that also sucks for the Cam Akers owners that started him. He had like 175 scrimmage yards. That drive that Jared Goff got that touchdown, Cam Akers brought them all the way down the field. And they didn't even let Cam Akers finish it off. They ran it with Goff, which was super frustrating. But, you know, if he didn't have that, he would have had a 10-point game. So I thought that was still, you know, a very good call there. Cam Newton can't be trusted with this play. Plus, the Patriots may be tempted to see what Sidham can do. That's my takeaway. Look, they've named him the starter. Yes. But you can't play any of the Patriots. Any of them. You can't trust the receivers. You can't trust the running backs. And now you can't even trust Cam Newton because they're pretty much out of the playoffs at this point. And why not? Cam Newton is on a one-year deal. Why not see what Jarrett Stidham has? Why not roll him out there and get him some reps? You can either build trade value for him if you end up getting a new quarterback in, or if you somehow re-sign Cam Newton despite being you know, super, super strapped with cap space, mainly because of the defense. You know, it, it just makes more sense to to go with Stidham. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see Stidham this season. I'm not starting Cam Newton even in a really good matchup. It's not worth the risk, because Cam Newton can just turn the ball over once or twice and then be pulled. So I'm still uninterested with any of the pass skill players. And now we're on to the Bucks Vikings. Let's go, baby! Bucks get a win. And it was on the back of Rojo. Rojo, not on the back of Rojo, but Rojo had a good day. That was another one of our calls. I'm, I'm not going to try and focus on the starts and sits and everything. I'm just going to talk about the games because obviously that's a section that we talk about later. But Ronald Jones was good, had a touchdown, had exactly 20 touches, by the way. So with his 16.5 points, that was great. But he had exactly 20 touches, which is even better because remember I was telling you guys, Bruce Arians midseason was like Mike Evans needs more targets. Since that day, Mike Evans has been the number one target on the Buccaneers. And it is by a clear, very, very evident margin. Nine targets, ten targets, eight targets, nine targets, ten targets. This was the only game that he didn't get a bunch of targets since that day. Why? Because the Bucs did not throw much. They only threw the ball 23 times. So it'd be pretty hard to get Mike Evans nine, ten targets in a game where you're throwing 23 times. So don't worry about any of the receivers for the Bucs because that's how they won this game. They ran the ball. They played good defense. Also, the Vikings kept the Bucs offense off the field for a really long time. They sustained a drive that was over eight minutes in the first quarter, almost took up the entire first quarter. And I was just like, dude, I hope this is not how the game's going. And also Brady missed like was missing wide open receivers and I was like getting kind of worried not going to lie but that's just because I'm a Bucks fan and I expect excellence when we have Tom Brady and the defense that we have even though we're missing Vita Vea and Jamel Dean but anyways back to the the fantasy you know takeaways from this game the Bucks Ronald Jones looks good Ronald Jones is getting the main touches Leonard Fournette was inactive for a reason finally thank you Bruce Arians Leonard Fournette is not good at all nowhere near Ronald Jones and why not throw Keyshawn Vaughn out there? I doubt he's going to be as bad as Leonard Fournette with vision or with catching. And I mean, Ronald Jones ain't the best catcher either, but he's also better than Leonard Fournette. And LaShawn McCoy actually looked decent, decent, but I have no interest in any of the Bucks running backs other than Ronald Jones. The Bucks have cheese matchups in Atlanta and Detroit coming up. So I really like Ronald Jones as a solid RB2. Honestly, fringe, fringe RB1. He's probably in the RB 10 to 14 range the rest of the, the year for me. And so I really like that. And then going to the Vikings, Dalvin Cook was amazing. He broke the Buck streak of holding running backs under 100 rushing yards. And he's just a, he's just a beast. I mean, after Derrick Henry, he's probably one of the best. And Nick Chubb, he's probably the third best pure runner in the NFL. Uh, maybe I'm missing somebody. Maybe there's somebody that's just, you know, I'm completely forgetting, but I'm pretty sure I would say Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, and Dalvin Cook are the three best pure runners of the football. And he looked great. He was fighting, fighting for those yards. He broke so many tackles, which, of course, as a Bucs fan, was frustrating. And the Vikings wide receivers were held in check. It was a similar type of game script for the Vikings receivers. You know, the Bucs were running the game, playing defense. That's what the Vikings were trying to do most of the game as well. So, you know, with a long with long sustained drives, with a lot of time coming off the clock from both teams running the ball, it was hard for any of the receivers to really get going in this game, so I'm not worried about any of the receivers here, you know, there's no reason to be, because the Vikings have a good pass game with the receivers, and so do the Bucks. Chiefs-Dolphins. The Dolphins have a great defense, but do not convince yourself, do not convince yourself that this was anything more than a bad day for Patrick Mahomes and a string of luck for the Dolphins. Now, I'm not taking any way, anything away from the Dolphins, but let's be real. The turnovers were tipped balls off helmets, a receiver not catching and tipping it into the air. That's lucky stuff. That's not stuff that the Dolphins did. It's not like Mahomes was just crazy under pressure and threw a bad ball, and that's why it got tipped up and was inaccurate. And No, it was just unlucky for the Chiefs, lucky for the Dolphins. But the Dolphins still have a great defense. You guys know I love that defense. You know, I think the Dolphins will be very legit very soon. I wouldn't be surprised if they are the division winner next year. I don't think it'll happen this year. I like the Bills. But, you know, next year, if they just get a couple pieces for Tua, mainly some separators at the wide receiver position, maybe they could, you know, get another defender or two. But their defense has been great and they're not losing anybody that I can think of. That's something we'll be diving into in the offseason as well. But. Yeah, so the defense looked good. But don't don't just think, oh, the Dolphins' defense just had all these turnovers versus Mahomes. They are crazy elite. It's not the case. And once again, we have a game where the Chiefs, for a good portion of the game, were playing a very close matchup. And guess who was getting all the touches? Clyde edwards helaire I think at this point, that trend has been confirmed. Okay, I was kind of just picking it up you know, a little bit, but there was not huge sample sizes because the Chiefs are not in close games very often. But every time I saw them in a close situation, it was always Clyde. So I was starting to pick up on the trend. And then Clyde completely, completely dominated the touches in this game. And this game was close for most of it. So I think that trend is confirmed. Also, Le'Veon Bell was crying on Twitter, uh, probably about his lack of touches. He just said, Oh man, I don't even remember. It was like, that's unbelievable, or I can't believe this, or I'm so confused. I think it was, I'm so confused. If he's complaining, if that is in regards to his lack of touches, in a game that the Chiefs won, where Clyde was playing good, despite looking at the stats, if you just watch him, he was playing good. If he's crying about touches, I don't think Andy Reid is going to let that fly, especially because that was one of the conditions coming in to Kansas City, was he was supposed to understand that Clyde was the dude, and he was there to back him up and play situationally well this was not the situation for you to play Le'Veon Bell so if you're complaining about touches it's possible that Clyde Edwards Hilaire might just take more Andy Reid might be like oh yeah we just won the game and you're worried about your touches you're being selfish that doesn't fly in this organization we just won a Super Bowl we're trying to get two back-to-back we're trying to be the next dynasty and that is not a culture I approve of Clyde Edwards Hilaire you can go ahead and take the rest of the touches so I don't know the arrow and this is just speculation i'm not saying i'm convicted on this but the arrow might be pointing up for clyde because of levy bell's attitude possibly maybe maybe he was saying i'm so confused about something random and it wasn't that but aside from that kelsey and hill are good as always mahomes was pretty decent too Tua was all right he doesn't have much help offensively mike is got two touchdowns honestly it seems like his thing now is he the tight end version of mike evans the mike evans from earlier in the season you know low targets a lot of touchdowns, the red zone guy. He did sustain a shoulder injury talking about Kasiki, of course. So keep an eye out on that. I don't have any like updated news on that yet. DeAndre Washington is a trap, guys. Just like DeVonte Booker. Stop falling for backup running backs that lack talent. And I'm not saying you were, but for the people that do, for the people that do and, and I understand the trap, but try not to play backup running backs just because you think they're going to get a whole bunch of touches that lack talent, especially especially in backfields that have multiple guys to give the ball to. Let me give you an example of the opposite of this type of backup. You want somebody that's talented, that's going to dominate touches, who are perfect examples, Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray. These are the guys that when the starter is out, you slam into your lineups. And honestly, Wayne Gallman has been played really well this year, and he's dominating the touches, so he's a good example of that now too. But DeAndre Washington has never done anything in the NFL. Devontae Booker has never done anything in the NFL, they are also both playing in situations where they're not going to get all the touches. DeAndre Washington has Patrick Laird to share touches with. He also has, um, oh my goodness, Lynn Bowden. There it is. Lynn Bowden to share touches with. Devontae Booker has Jalen Richard to share touches with. And Jacobs, when Jacobs was there and was the guy, he was always dominating touches and he was always frustrating, which we're also going to touch on but um yeah so it was just an example and obviously Devonte Booker wasn't that's that wasn't the situation this week because Jacobs did play but it was just an example because I noticed a lot of people fell into that trap two weeks ago when Jacobs was out Lynn Bowden did emerge and led the team in receiving we talked about him over 50 snaps at the slot position that is great nine targets on 48 passes that's also a decent target share that's just about 20 percent Now, Devontae Parker was out from the very beginning of the game, so that's something to consider as well, and, you know, he only had two targets, so he was not, obviously, like, uh, somebody that Tua could look towards, so that's part of the reason Bowden was so good, but I think he's a good dynasty stash, nothing more than that, just hold on to him, see what we got there, and then we got the Panthers versus the Broncos. Drew Locke played a good game if you look at the stats. Honestly, if you watch the game, it didn't look like he was that great, but... I don't think this prevents the Broncos from trying to replace him because, I mean, like, let's be real for a second. A broken clock, broken clock is right twice a day and Drew Locke ain't a great quarterback and he just had a decent, decent day. So I want you to remember this because Drew Locke can be in this analogy or metaphor, whatever, of the clock that's broken being right twice a day, okay? He's the first example. So that's the first time in the day that it's right. And we have somebody that's the perfect example of the second time that we will get to later. But Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay are splitting carries. Melvin's still getting the receiving role, but I really have no interest in either of them. I'm trying not to play any of the Broncos running backs. And we've talked about DJ Chark and how he's been concerning. But I want to talk about Jerry Judy because he is in an average at best, average at best wide receiver group. And his lack of emergence in this wide receiver group is very concerning. Let's just like rewrite the NFL draft real quick. If you had Justin Jefferson drafted by the Denver Broncos, if CeeDee Lamb was drafted by the Denver Broncos, if T. Higgins was drafted by the Denver Broncos, if you get my gist, right? You get what I'm putting down here. If any of those guys were drafted by the Denver Broncos, I'm sure that they would be dominating this wide receiver room judy is not and it's concerning i don't know i don't have the answers yet and so jerry judy dj chark that's probably an episode that i'm gonna you know do in the off season and we're getting pretty close to that so guys stick with me through the off season i have a lot of content i already have planned out a lot of things to talk about some of the things include you know a deep dive into jerry judy and dj chark what happened this season why are they not performing well Uh, I'm also going to have a quarterback shuffle or a quarterback carousel uh, episode because this offseason is going to be crazy. There are so many quarterbacks that might change teams, looking at how that might impact things, also looking at the receivers, where they might go, how that might impact things. A lot of good stuff in the offseason. Just stick with me. Trust me. It'll be worth it Uh, because that's when I get my back. I love podcasting during the season, but it's a little more stricter on what you can talk about because obviously you guys want all the relevant news of what's going on, so that's what I'm going to give you, but in the offseason, I can really just get creative with it, and that's what I love, and that, that's when I really do my deep dive. That's why it's called Deep Dive Fantasy Football, right? That's when I really get deep into, you know, analytics, into film study, into just so many things, and that's what I love about the off season. but just stick with me. Anyways, Um, going back to this Broncos-Panthers game, KJ Hamler gets two touches on three receptions. He will be a boom bust guy probably most of his career. I don't think he'll ever, you know, see the Tyreek Hill spike where you have somebody that's a good special teams player, is a gadgety guy who's fast, can get open, and then all of a sudden just gets this wide receiver one role and gets peppered with a bunch of targets. Maybe, maybe that happens, but I really still believe in Jerry Judy. That's something that is really driving me towards, you know, doing the study on Jerry Judy and t- DJ Chark, because we need to figure out if KJ Hamler possibly has a route to hundred plus targets on a season. I, I I don't think so. Um consistently, but hey, you know, we'll we'll see. The uh the dynasty session on these rookies is young. It's young. So there's still a lot that can happen. Mike Davis pulls through in Christian McCaffrey's absence again, got sick 26 points. Robbie and Curtis are the guys with DJ Moore out. They combined the two of them for over 50% of the Panthers targets. And look, obviously, I am super upset that DJ Moore is out. I hope he's back soon. But the one, you know, the silver lining, the one good thing that comes out of this situation is that at least we can finally understand and project this Carolina offense. Because when DJ Moore was in, is it Curtis? Is it Moore? Is it Robbie? So frustrating. And you pretty much lost every time. Not every time, because Robbie's been somewhat consistent, but it it was just never really what we truly expected from game to game. Pretty unpredictable with him being out. It seems like Curtis and Robbie are both guys you can play because they're not really they don't have a fourth receiver. You know that's going to step up into that third receiver role with more out and just take a bunch of targets. Now we got the Bengals Cowboys, and then after this, I'm gonna hit you guys with a break. I'm gonna take a breather, grab some water. But Bengals Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott. He was a start for me. Remember, guys, I record podcasts early, right? Just like everyone does. Thursday is when the podcast came out. I was recording the podcast either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. So I had not seen the news because it has, you know, it didn't happen yet. That Ezekiel Elliott hurt himself during practice. After that, after that injury that was midweek, I figured he would be a rough play. And all the people that asked me about him, that DM me about him, this is why it's important that if you guys have a question, Reach out to me. I promise I will answer. There has never been one person that I have not answered. Um, And I usually do it within, like, honestly, unless I'm at the gym or at church, within an hour. So, um, and like, at most, it'll be like six hours for me to respond. So, guys, always... You know, unless it's in the middle of the night and I'm sleeping, but always be willing to reach out to me because I got you guys. That's what I'm here for. You guys support me by listening to the podcast. I gladly give back and support you guys by answering your personal questions whenever you guys need it. So, um, a lot of people asked me about Elliot, and once, you know, I had that information, I was telling most people to sit Elliot if they could, because this was a game that I expected the Cowboys to be winning handily, which they did. This was the one betting line that I got right. And yeah, one. I'm one and four this week. So that killed my four and one and four and one starts. Uh we're still in the positive, clearly, but uh hopefully we'll bounce back next week. But um yeah, he was a tough play. And I also tweeted about it, so follow me on Twitter. Michael Gallup remains Andy Dalton's favorite target. I don't understand it. For some bizarre reason, look, Michael Gallup is good. He is not CeeDee Lamb, he is not Amari Cooper, but he continues to out target them with Andy Dalton. And it's just really weird. Clearly, the Bengals are tired of Giovanni Bernard. He got 10% of the carries and was benched after a fumble in the first quarter. Did not return until the second half. Now, I do have one interesting thing to throw out. Travion Williams, Travion Williams who I actually liked when he came out of college, took over carries and had three targets, was decent. He was decent. He was definitely the best running back um, that they had, you know, stepping in for Mixon. And I thought he was good. So it's just interesting. I mean, I don't think there's anything to take away here um, other than, you know, you don't start Gio, but we've been known that for the past three, four weeks. And if you've been continuously starting Gio, I think you've kind of just been hoping for a bunch of touches that he has not been getting um, and kind of maybe not paying attention because Giovanni Vonnie Bernard has not been good for a while. T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd were okay, but we have a problem. We have a problem here. AJ Green emerged with seven targets and a touchdown. And... If AJ Green has any relevance, once again, and I'm not trying to overreact because he had like a little random spike on a week before in the season, but if he does end up becoming part of this offense again, nobody is going to be fantasy relevant because this offense with Brandon Allen at the helm is not getting anything done that is going to make any T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, AJ Green first of all predictable you're never going to know which one to start second of all there's probably not much offensive production to be able to make one receiver really good when there's three options that are getting a similar amount of targets so that's going to be a problem if AJ Green continues and I don't I don't have the answer of whether it will or whether it was a spike week who knows I mean we're just gonna have to wait and see but T Higgins and Tyler Boyd we've been kind of hesitant with since Burrow's injury in the first place Higgins has been pretty good but you know with him coming off the hammy I was hesitant this week But he was alright. Nothing uh, too bad, nothing too good. And with that said, I'll be right back. Let's uh, hit you with a Brandon Gabor deep dive ad. What's up, divers? Do you enjoy a good workout like me? Are you trying to get built? If so, you need a good source of protein after to get maximum gains. Luckily, your boy, talking about myself, just got sponsored by Built Bar. So you can get some awesome protein bars at 10% off with my code deep dive just check out builtbar.com where they have so many sick options also if you enjoy the podcast take a second to pause the podcast right here that's right you heard me right here and drop me a rating or review and if you are feeling super generous you can choose to support the podcast monthly through the link on the episode page or found in the website podcast section with that being said as you know let's get back to the content all right guys welcome back let's talk about the cardinals versus the giants and by the way, if I seem a little out of sorts on this podcast, it's just because I'm so hyped up by that Browns-Ravens game. That truly was the best, first off, primetime game of the season, but honestly, it might have been the best game of the season so far. Just, you you love to see it. That's why we love the NFL. Games like that is what just hypes me up and what makes me truly love the fact that I'm able to talk and, you know, inform and do research and stuff and just have this as a hobby and... You know, I just, I really am appreciative of the NFL for stuff like this. But Cardinals, Giants, Kenyon Drake has to be started at this point. Four consecutive games. Four consecutive games over 13 points. He's getting mad touches. In the last five games, Kenyon Drake has 96 touches. That's four touches away from 20 touches a game. 96 in five games. 19.2. Quick math in my head. 19.2 touches per game that is insane he has a good shot at a touchdown every week and he continued to get work despite two fumbles versus the Giants I think I think this is good uh I'm not entirely sure I mean if he's fumbling and still getting all the carries I assume that's a good thing right that means that he's not just on a short leash not going to get pulled as long as you know his fumbles don't affect the game plan this week and they're like hey You know, we we didn't want to pull you in that game because you were rumbling well. You were running well. I said rumbling. That's funny. Um, But yeah, Kenyon Drake, I, I I think it's a good thing. I think he'll be fine. Kyler has been slowed in fantasy. Why? Because his last rushing touchdown was week 10. Guys, we are, and it sucks that we're this far into the season, but it's also awesome, headed into week 15. We are headed into week 15. Kyler's last rushing touchdown was week 10. He has lost that part, or maybe not lost, but it has not emerged in these last few weeks here, and that is why he has not been as good for fantasy, but you still have to start him. And it doesn't matter the matchup because all it takes is for that rushing touchdown to come back, and boom, he could be QB1 on the week easily. Since we've been out on Kirk, Christian Kirk, Hopkins is still the only guy I would start ever in an arizona receiving game because christian kirk he had those great games you know and i was kind of on him for a bit and I, i was really liking what he was doing we were vibing with it christian kirk was getting targets he was getting touchdowns and you know he was finally getting healthy and i was like all right he's got that second spot locked down and then boom all of a sudden he's gone again so at this point you know we've been out for a couple weeks on christian Kirk continue that trend and only start Hopkins in that offense in terms of the receivers the Giants offense was just atrocious and they also face against Cleveland and Baltimore the next two weeks that is not promising not promising at all Wayne Gallman is the only person in that offense that I would start if, and that's if you're very hurt by running back he's been a fine start but versus Baltimore versus Cleveland Also, two teams that are probably just going to control the clock and keep the Giants off the field because both of those offenses are great in the run game. Some of the best running offenses in the league. I really am not going to be interested in Gallman unless you're really struggling. And some of us are. And there's no shame in that. Uh, By the way, I mean, if you are still alive, I can't believe I didn't start with this. If you are still alive, congratulations. Let's keep pushing. Let's get this championship, you know, and uh, just add as many trophies to the deep dive collection and your own personal collection as possible. Um, So, you know, we'll stick with it. Keep going. So congrats if you made it this far. It's been a crazy season. So many injuries, the COVID nonsense. And if you're in any leagues that commissioners have not been super flexible and you only have one IR spot or you have a shallow six-person bench or you are in a league that has not allowed the flex option of you know hey if this game gets postponed from COVID I want to play this person some leagues haven't done that I mean there's been a lot of crazy stuff so if you're alive I mean pat yourself on the back for real like I'm not just saying that like for real it's been a crazy season so great job Texans Bears oh actually one other thing I wanted to touch on for the Giants they only had 41 offensive plays 41 offensive plays it is hard to have anyone be fantasy relevant when that is what you're putting on the field most teams in the NFL right now with how the game is currently, are throwing the ball 40 times. And the Giants didn't even have, like, well, they did by one, but they barely had more than that combined between running and rushing. That is atrocious. You need to be in the 60s. You need to be in the 60s, and that is not going to get it done. Texans Bears, David Montgomery, and Allen freaking Robinson. Guys, the best by lows ever the best buy lows ever. October 29th was the episode that I released talking about buy lows and sell highs before the trade deadline was over. And I believe the first two people I talked about, and it's in the heading, Buy Your Bears, were David Montgomery and Allen Robinson. Both put up 25 points again. Alan Robinson is wide receiver seven now on the year, and David Montgomery is running back seven on the year. Plus, their matchups moving forward are also still amazing. They, and I do not throw this term around loosely, but for the value that you could have got them at if you did buy them, or if you just held them because you drafted them, they could be in the league winner conversation. They really could be. And wide receiver seven, RB seven, that's before this week gets calculated. So I looked at it David Montgomery is probably going to move up one or two spots, so he's going to be the RB five or RB six on the year once this week gets calculated. Allen Robinson is has a big gap over wide receiver eight, but not a you know close enough gap to wide receiver six, so he'll still be wide receiver seven. But guys, that was I mean they've been awesome, so thank you Bears. Also, thank you Mitch Trubisky. Which here it is. This is the second part of the analogy. He looked really good. He looked really good, the guy that they were hoping they would get week in and week out when they drafted him at two overall, but a broken clock is right twice a day. The first time on this Sunday was Drew Locke, and the second time was Mitch Trubisky. So look, he helps David Montgomery and Allen Robinson. I love him for that, but guys, he's he's tough to start in fantasy, and he's definitely not the future there. Don't be like, hey, let's look Trubisky's way because he had a great game. I'm not no I'm nowhere near that so don't go that direction on the other side of the ball Deshaun Watson was under siege he got sacked six times and still played a decent game as a passer it just shows you how much talent this guy really has especially with no help Kiki Q didn't do much other than the touchdown with Brandon Cooks out which is surprising to me I really thought he was going to get at least minimum minimum eight targets I wouldn't have been surprised if he got 16 targets I kind of threw that out there as a hot take um just trying to, you know, build confidence in people, but at least he got the touchdown. So he wasn't a bad play because of it, but it was, it was concerning that that's all he did was the three targets. I believe it was three or maybe like five with Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller out, but Brandon Cooks should be back. And I do believe that Kuti as the second option will still get heavily targeted. The weapons, like I said, around Watson are so porous. This was a big concern for me in the offseason. That's why I had him ranked as the last quarterback in the second tier with Russell Wilson. uh, Who are the others? Dak Prescott and... Ooh, I can't even remember. Somebody else. Was it Josh Allen? It wasn't Josh Allen. I don't remember. But... Oh, it was uh, Kyler Murray. Yes, yes, yes. Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson... Dak Prescott Deshaun Watson yes he was my last ranked one out of them because of the lack of weapons and his good weapons were people that got hurt all the time and what do you know Will Fuller is out now not because he's hurt but so I guess I got lucky there but then Brandon Cooks is out because he's hurt Randall Cobb is hurt David Johnson is hurt so that I mean basically what I was worried about came true and Houston is cap strapped so it will be interesting to watch what happens with Fuller he's going to be a free agent and if he's gone if he leaves, if they cannot re-sign him, which I would be surprised at this point if they are able to re-sign him, it's not going to be much better for Deshaun Watson. He's always going to be a top 10 quarterback because of his legs, but it's going to severely limit Watson's upside in fantasy if he is in Houston and they cannot resign Fuller and they don't have a first round draft pick to be able to get him some help. It's going to be rough and they don't have money to be able to bring in free agents. It's going to be rough. And if people don't realize that, maybe you could do a Watson for Herbert swap because I do think Herbert is going to be better than Watson for fantasy, because he has the weapons. He doesn't have the legs, but he has the arm. And, you know, it's really just about the weapons. Honestly, that's what it's about. He has way more weapons, and he's younger too. So if you're in dynasty, it's a fair trade off in that sense as well. So hey, just just keep your eyes open on what happens there. And uh, see, you know, throw out some feelers on Watson, see what you can get for him. I still think he's going to be you know, a top eight dynasty quarterback, but I don't think he's going to be as elite as some people might, be- might believe. Titans, Jaguars, John Smith and A.J. Brown played and were healthy. So what do you know? Corey Davis was pretty bad, only got three targets. I'm not looking Corey Davis's way when John o. Smith and A.J. Brown are healthy. No, thank you. Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown are freaks. I say it a lot. You say it a lot, probably, we all say it because it's just insane. Derrick Henry is 6'3", 250, and the dude is outrunning cornerbacks and safeties consistently. Consistently! It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. This guy should not be at that size outrunning corners and safeties. Gardner Minshew comes in for Glennon. Sorry about that, guys. I know I called Glennon as a start. My bad. Uh, You know, the matchup said... Hey, he'll be a good start. And Minshew played pretty good. So, I mean, the quarterback position for that team was still pretty good. But, yeah, Glennon got benched. So, that sucked for anybody that might have played Glennon. And Keelan Cole started performing again with Minshew. He had 12 targets, 7 receptions, 67 yards, and a touchdown. LaVisca Chenault, 11 targets. Nice. Colin Johnson was also somebody that faded away with Glennon. Once Glennon was out, Colin Johnson was basically useless. Three targets. DJ Chark. Guys, this is... Just compounding the worries. 16 yards. If I told you, DJ Shark, don't look, right? Don't cheat. I just want you to guess. If you don't know, obviously. Some of you guys might know this. DJ Shark had 16 yards. How many targets do you think he had? I'm assuming you're thinking three, four. Oh, maybe because Brandon's asking this, it's probably a high number, so maybe six. Nine. Nine targets. He had 16 yards on nine targets. The worry with Chark gets worse and worse every single week. I've said it before, but he is the only receiver that is not performing with any of the quarterbacks that Jacksonville rolls out. So it's concerning, something I'll definitely dive into later in the offseason. For right now, DJ Chark has a 7% lower catch rate than last year, combined with a 0.7 yards less perception. That might not seem like a big deal, but when somebody's catch rate goes down, their yards per reception should go up. Think about it this way. It's very simple. If your catch rate is worse, you know, you're catching less of your targets, that's usually because your targets are more difficult. They're probably farther down the field. Guys like Tyreek Hill, guys like Michael Hardman, uh, let me think of a different team, guys like Deshaun Jackson, those type of guys will always have huge, a very high yards per reception, a really low catch rate because they're getting deep targets harder balls for the quarterback to throw, harder balls to catch. And, you know, it's a fair trade off. It's a good trade off. It works for the offense. But DJ Chark has seen his catch rate go down, which means his wide receiver hit or sorry, his uh, yards per reception should be up. No, they also went down. That is a problem. That is a very big problem. Now, I have some theories, maybe health Maybe something, you know, we don't know about. He has been in and out throughout this season. Maybe there's just stuff lingering and it's affecting his speed and you know he's not getting to where he needs to be at the right times, and that's the problem. So maybe it's health related. Maybe it's chemistry related, but I wouldn't understand that because he was really good with Minchu last year. So I don't think it's that because he has been really bad with Minchu this year. Maybe he's just getting shut down now that Defenders had an offseason to figure him out. I, I'm not really sure. So what's the problem here? We'll find that out later. I'm glad Minshew is back. That's pretty much James Robinson's only hope in the fantasy playoffs because they are playing Baltimore and Chicago. That's a really rough schedule. We just watched Chicago dismantle Deshaun Watson and the Texans. And that offense is definitely more threatening than the Jaguars offense. So it's gonna be tough for me to have any confidence comp- confidence in James Robinson but at least at least his outlook is a little bit better with Minshew back because Minshew is an upgrade at the position Packers lines not many crazy takeaways here Rodgers and Adams had a good game as always Aaron Jones should have got more work it's annoying that he didn't honestly because the Packers were dominating this game if you look at the scoreboard hey it wasn't a domination they only won by one score one touchdown but they were dominating the game. I mean, there was just some garbage time for the Lions. They were winning by a lot very early on, and Aaron Jones only got 15 carries. Jamal Williams got 10. So that I know that's kind of rough, but I'm not losing any confidence in Aaron Jones. You know? So Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers, those are my only real interests in this offense. MVS did have a really nice Devontae Adams-esque touchdown grab. Honestly, when I saw it, I was like, dang, Devontae Adams got a second one already. Let's go. And then I saw the, you know, player because it was hard because they were basically like blanketed by a corner. So you really just saw the hands come out, come out to the side as he contorted his body on the fade and caught the touchdown pass. So I thought it was Devontae Adams. And then I saw him and I was like, wow, that was MVS. That's insane. And hey, USF Bull Pride. He, he went to USF. So, you know, let's go represent baby, um, which I also just graduated from, by the way. That's cool. TJ Hawkinson continues his model of consistency and he might surprise you guys when I do my Consistency Kings episode in the offseason to, you know, it's an episode that I do that really helps us see who we can be confident in week in and week out. Because sometimes, you know, you look at receivers, for example, like if you have the opportunity to draft a receiver who's going to get you 250 points or draft a receiver who's going to get you 220 points, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm taking the receiver with 250 points, but what if I told you that the receiver who's going to give you 250 points Was like a Tyler Lockett and has amazing game or week winning games, but then puts up a bunch of low outputs. And then I told you that the 220 point receiver was like a Tyler Boyd, a consistent 15 points every week. Which one would you rather have then? Personally, I would rather have the guy who's going to score less overall on the season, but be consistent every single week and help my team put up points every single week. So. That's why I do that podcast. That's something else that we do in the offseason. But moving on, DeAndre Swift only got 12 touches. The touchdown did save him. And it's just a result of him being banged up. I wouldn't be too worried about it, especially because it's good to see. They didn't give the ball to Adrian Peterson at the goal line to take away DeAndre Swift's ceiling. That was something I was possibly worried about. You know, I was telling you guys with Adrian Adrian Peterson, goodness gracious, being so good at the goal line, and you know getting touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown these last 2 3 weeks that what if they decide to roll with him again at the goal line even when Swift's healthy that was not the case so that's good to see and you know i'm sure he'll be healthier and get more touches so i'm not worried about swift marvin jones was robbed of a beautiful catch a beautiful catch at the one maybe two yard line uh it was really really nice and i hope you saw it if you didn't it might be hard to find since it didn't actually count as a catch So, you know, it might not be something easy to look up and see, but if you can, it's worth a watch. It was really nice. Colts Raiders, Jonathan Taylor was getting work early on, early on. That is what we love to see. 60 yards on the Colts first drive. He is a firm must start, especially with Houston next week, who he just dropped 22 points on two weeks ago. He finished with 22 touches in this game for 165 yards and two touchdowns. One of the highest scoring running backs on the week. He might have actually been number one. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but he's definitely up there. T.Y. Hilton is back. Two touchdowns, 86 yards. It took him a while, but hey, better late than never. If you got T.Y. Hilton, I'm starting him. I'm starting him. Nelson Aguilar and Darren Waller dominate targets. Apparently, Nelson Aguilar is the wide receiver one on that team. It's not Henry Ruggs, not Brian Edwards, not Hunter Renfro, Nelson, Aguilar, but it's hard to trust. He's boom bust. Here are his points the last seven weeks, all right, and it starts off with a zero, a bagel, and he played. He played. It's not like he was hurt. So the last seven weeks, zero points, then 14 points, then two points, then 21 points, then 10 points, eight points, 21 points. That is not a receiver I like to put in my lineup, but if you're really struggling It's worth a shot. It's, you know, close your eyes and throw the dart at the dartboard and see what you hit because that is what starting Nelson Aguilar is like. But if you're really struggling, you can go that way. I'm not interested. Josh Jacobs got some receiving work, but it was a negative game script fairly quickly. And Jalen Richard also got five targets. So it's not like Jacobs was just taking over the receiving for the running backs. Put simply, guys, Josh Jacobs has not been good or Predictable, and that is the biggest problem because when you look at fantasy football as a whole, it's fine to have actually. I just came up with the perfect example. It's fine to have somebody that's not, you know, good every week but is predictable. My example for that is Ronald Jones. He is somebody for me specifically that I have been really good at predicting. So when you guys have been taking my advice on Ronald Jones, it's worked out. You know, I mean, I told him, told you guys he was a good start this week, he had 16 points. And you know, it's not like I'm super accurate on everybody like that. It's just an example. But there are guys that are very predictable. You could just look at matchups. You can project the game script yourself. I mean, a lot of this is just things that you can think through yourself. It's very fairly simple. Um, but Josh Jacobs is not one of those people. Sometimes the matchup is perfect. Josh Jacobs does nothing. Sometimes the matchup is daunting, and he does great. That is not good. His last six games. And remember, this is the guy that is supposed to be an RB1 that is a fringe first-round pick. These are his last six games. 13 points. 14 points. 30 points. 14 points. 4 points. 10 points. If you take out that 30-point game, his best game in the last five is 14 points. That is not good at all. But with all of that being said, you probably have to start him versus the Chargers, But I'm just saying, there's no way I am confident in it. So don't be confident in it, but you probably don't have a better option because, let's face it, with all the injuries at running backs, everyone's been decimated at the position. If you got somebody that's getting 15 plus touches, you pretty much have to play them. So just lower your expectations for Josh Jacobs. Jets, Seahawks, what is there even to talk about? Honestly, Darnold was horrible. The receivers were horrible. The running backs were horrible. Russell Wilson and Seattle dominated so fast and so early that Russell Wilson was pulled in the third quarter and most of the other starters. So if you had those guys, you hopefully got a good day out of them. But it could have been much better. But hey, Seattle's being smart. The game was far and away out of uh, the Jets' reach. And they decided to you know, keep everyone healthy. So it was a good coaching decision. I, I like to see stuff like that. You know, it's smart, and we don't want to see anybody get injured. So, honestly, I'm fine with it. And don't be upset if you have fantasy guys, because if they kept them in and your fantasy guy got injured, you'd be really pissed off. So, you know, think about the other side of the coin. Chargers-Falcons, Mike Williams, this killed me in one league. Mike Williams left in the second quarter. Like, more like the end of the first or beginning of the second. I don't remember exactly, but Mike Williams left very early on. So that really sucked. The Chargers cannot actually be fathomed they 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 cannot be fathomed they are ununderstandable. understandable all right let me paint this picture for you in case you didn't see it 20 seconds left before this the first half is over 20 seconds on the clock the chargers are uh, at about the eight yard line they have no timeouts it is third and one what would you do and bl- the pull of 100 people says take an end zone shot so that you either get the touchdown or you don't get the touchdown. And the clock stops because it's an incomplete pass. And then you kick the field goal. Wow. Good job. 100% of the crowd. Oh, wait. What's that? A 0.01% that disagree. And, and what is that person? Oh, that's the person making the decisions for the Chargers. Ridiculous. I mean, you ran the ball with 20 seconds left. You have no timeouts. And you run the ball. When you're 8 yards away from the end zone, you're not going to run the ball into the end zone. And if you run the ball, you're not going to be able to spike it because the clock's going to go and you're not going to have a chance to get the field goal. So you ran the ball. Goodness gracious, the level of idiocy is unattainable. Fire everyone. Please. Please. Show the players in Los Angeles that you care. Show them that you care and fire Anthony Lynn. Fire the offensive coordinator. Honestly, I don't know much about the defensive coordinator, like whether he should be fired or not because there's been injuries and their defense hasn't been like the absolute worst. And considering the injuries, you know, that has to be taken into account. But Anthony Lennon, the offensive coordinator, should have been fired at halftime. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen that, but we should have saw it. We should have saw it because that was atrocious. The Falcons are barely any better than the Chargers. But I will say, you know, keeping things a little positive... Watching the end of that game was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. The, <laughs> the Falcons and the Chargers fumbling the game away back and forth had me cracking up. The teams are tied, right? This Now we're at the end of the game. The teams are tied. Justin Herbert throws an interception under two minutes. <clears throat> All right, that's game over, right? Falcons are going to win. All they need is like 15 yards and a field goal. Psych. Right after the Justin Herbert interception in under two minutes, Matt Ryan throws an interception in under one minute. Now the Chargers got the ball back. They're driving down. Oh, here they're attempting a field goal. Honestly, I thought he was going to miss because I thought it was just going to be like to the point where both of these teams can never win a game that neither of them are going to and it's just going to end in a tie. But he actually made the field goal and the Chargers won. There were six turnovers in this game and that killed my overcall. Remember I called the over on 49 points. It was looking good. We were rolling. First half like the middle of the second quarter, it was like 17 14. I'm like, oh yes. The Chargers are also Um, you know, obviously the Chargers with the eight seconds left. So I'm like, the Chargers are gonna put more points on the board here. Either a field goal or or they get the touchdown. Neither happened because the Chargers coaching staff is a bunch of clowns. Um, so that also was ridiculous. But the six turnovers really killed it because when you're turning the ball over that much, nobody's scoring. So despite looking good in the first half, the second half turnover spectacle began and that overcall was ruined. Calvin Ridley was great. Russell Gage's pass to him for a touchdown. And I'm being completely serious when I say this. I'm not even trying to, to rip Falcons because I'm a Bucs fan. That Russell Gage pass to Calvin Ridley was the best Falcons pass of the year. Now, side note, if my Bucks lose a game to this Falcons team, I will actually lose my mind. Like, you guys will hear a Brandon you have not heard if the Bucks lose a game to this freaking Falcons team, because they have been so bad in every way. Now, continuing on the fantasy side of things, Hayden Hurst, he crapped his pants in this game almost as badly as Matt Ryan did. Austin Eckler had nine receptions. We need to take a pause right here, because Austin Eckler, this dude is elite for fantasy when he is healthy. And I am not someone who throws that word around. You know, just like I was talking about, I don't throw around league winner. You guys do not hear me say stuff like that often, right? But Austin Eckler is honestly elite for fantasy football when he is healthy. He gets eight plus targets every game with Justin Herbert. And he gets 15 plus carries pretty much every game with a better coach, right? And remember, Austin Eckler just got signed to a new contract. With a better coach, and he's young, and Justin Herbert at the helm next year, Eckler truly and I truly believe this, and he probably won't be ranked near this because everyone is ranked so closely, but Austin Eckler has a good shot at being the RB1. He has just as good a shot at doing that than anyone else. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, probably when I do my projections in the offseason, Christian McCaffrey, assuming health, as I always do in the offseason, unless somebody's already injured, is probably going to come out in projections as my RB1. But Austin Eckler is not going to be far behind him. And I don't think people realize that. And if you can trade anybody, I mean, honestly, with the situations right now, with Burrow um, likely to miss like half of the season next year, with the quarterback situation in philly with and their offensive line is getting older and is already super injured all the time with zeke not looking like prime time zeke anymore with all of these guys having question marks i would trade all of them away for austin eckler in a dynasty league i'm so serious because i mean for me it's christian mccaffrey alvin Kamara, saquon barkley uh, Clyde Edwards, a Jonathan Taylor, you know, the rookies, Antonio Gibson, JK Dobbins is not in that tier just cause he doesn't get receiving work and he won't get mad touches. Um, because Lamar takes away a lot. Deandre Swift, depending on what happens with their coaching situation will be up there. And Austin Eckler's up there with them. But I think all of those guys are, I mean, pfft. just see, just send out some feelers for Austin Eckler. That's what I'm saying. All right. And if you want to send me some trade proposals in the off season, Go for it, and I will gladly give you advice. But I really like Austin Eckler. He's been amazing when he's been on the field this year, and I don't see it getting any worse next year, especially if they improve the offensive line, which is going to be one of their main concerns in the offseason. Keenan Allen was good, obviously, and that brings us to the Eagles-Saints game. Miles Sanders, first 100-yard rusher versus the Saints in how many games? How many games? First 100-yard rusher in 56 games 56 that is insane now I do think Jalen Hurts looks really good I think he probably helps Miles Sanders the threat of a running back or a quarterback being able to run as long as they're not just running I mean he did run a lot but as long as they're not running as much as Lamar Jackson does it doesn't really hurt a running back I think because it's just the threat you know that's what helps Kenyon Drake the threat of Kyler Murray running but Kyler Murray doesn't run the ball so much that Kenyon Drake can't get a lot of touches And I think that this might help Miles Sanders moving forward. It's something to pay attention to for sure. Jalen Hurts did look really good. His legs make that offensive line, which is bad. Don't, you know, don't get it twisted. Their offensive line is bad. It it doesn't impact him as much because of his legs. On 14 pressures, Jalen Hurts led the offense to zero negative plays. Very different from what Carson Wentz has done so far this season. On 14 pressures, Hurts had zero negative plays and 82 yards with that offense. And his legs give him Kyler Murray potential. You know, he had 106 rushing yards in this game. And, I mean, that that's all you need for fantasy. If you're a quarterback, if you're getting anywhere near 60 rushing yards, you don't need much in the passing game to be really good for fantasy football. And he has a huge, huge ceiling. He is a firm start for the rest of the season in single quarterback leagues, which obviously means for super flex leagues, he has to be started. His next matchups are awesome arizona and i think dallas is the second one great great matchups um so yeah i'm all over hurts i love it and he will keep the pass attempts lower for that offense so it's a slight downgrade across the board for the receiving options for me even though he does play a little bit better at least you know in the one game and one quarter that we've seen he's not going to throw the ball nearly as much than as, as Wentz did so slight downgrade for all the receiving weapons sean payton he probably made Taysom throw to Kamara, like in practice a whole bunch. Because he had not thrown to Kamara at all the past three games. And then in this fourth game, Kamara was a priority in the receiving game as he got ten targets. That's what they should have been doing this whole time. And Camara is back to being his elite self, even if Taysom, even if Taysom is the quarterback, because I think with the success that he had throwing Camara, he will continue to do so. Michael Thomas is still good with with Taysom Hill as previously discussed throughout the Denver debacle because that game was just neither team had a real quarterback because Taysom guys is not a real quarterback and a lot of people think the Saints are going to roll with Taysom Hill in the future I hope you guys are right I think you're wrong but I hope you're right because the Bucs will win the division if Taysom Hill is the quarterback all season next year for the Saints I guarantee you that unless Tom Brady gets hurt so I would love that but I don't see it happening I think Sean Payton is either going to be looking for a quarterback via free agency because there will be so many available or maybe through the draft or maybe he just stays with Winston and you know, he was just spot starting Taysom Hill because nobody had film on him and he knew he could coach his way to three to five wins with Taysom Hill, but it's not something that you can sustain over the course of a season. So I don't think Taysom will be the future there. If you have him in Dynasty and somebody thinks he will be, trade him away. Not much uh, has changed for the Saints. I mean, start Taysom Hill if in a, in a super flex league because of his rushing, and then start Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. That's pretty much it. Washington versus the 49ers. Washington got two touchdowns on defense. Well, there goes that betting line. Once Washington had one touchdown, I was getting nervous. I'm like, oh man, the 49ers might not cover. And then the Washington defense got a second one, and Chase uh, Chase Young was just... Everywhere and was the main reason Washington won this game. He was great. He's well worth where he was picked at two overall. Terry McLaurin is becoming concerning as he averaged about four points per game less with Alex Smith than when he was with Haskins and Kyle Allen for like one or two games. And Alex Smith did get pulled out of this game, not because of performance, but because he injured himself. If he is out, I have less confidence in Washington winning games, but I have more confidence in McLaurin winning U-games for fantasy football with Dwayne Haskins. J.D. McKissick is no Antonio Gibson, but he may get more targets than he did this week due to a positive game script. But I will say, once again, with the Alex Smith-Dwayne-Haskins situation, if Haskins is starting, this might hurt McKissick a bit. Because part of the reason Terry McLaurin is better with Haskins is because Haskins likes to throw the ball a little bit deeper down the field than Alex Smith. Alex Smith is so content checking the ball down. That's why McKissick has been amazing with Alex Smith. But with Haskins coming back, I mean, assuming Alex Smith misses a game or two for the injury, J.D. McKissick is probably not going to get nearly as many targets, and Terry McLaurin is going to get a lot more. And this might also help Logan Thomas. Raheem Moster and Jeff Wilson seem to be in a 60-40 split, so that's not great for either of them. Brandon Ayuk, man, I was wrong on this guy. I was. He is better than I would have thought. With Debo Samuel and George Kittle out, Ayuk is nearing must-start territory. 16 targets, 119 yards in this game versus Washington. And over the last five games, he is averaging 20, 20 points per game in PPR leagues over the last five games. That is Brandon Ayuk. He is pretty much a must-start at this point. Kyle Shanahan, and this is the best part, Kyle Shanahan schemes the ball into his hands. So he's pretty much matchup proof. It's not like, oh, you know, he's got Tradavius White this week. Don't don't start brandon Ayuk. No, if he has Tradavius White, guess what Kyle Shanahan's doing? Getting Tredavious White off of him. So Ayuk is somebody I'm very confident in moving forward if you have him. Steelers, Bills. Deontay Johnson finally got benched. Why do I say finally? Because when you're a wide receiver in the NFL and you're making $100,000 per target, you need to catch the ball. I like the guy, but I've been ripping him during games for his lack of hands. Um, He should have been benched. So it was the right call. The Steelers wide receiver room is loaded. He did come back in the second half and was all right. But at this stage in the playoffs, you cannot trust Deontay Johnson. At least I will not trust him. Send me your start sits if you have him. I got you. um, Because I know he does have some decent matchups, but I just, I can't trust him if he's getting benched. And it's not like that's going to help his confidence at all. He's not going to come out. All right, I got benched. All right, let me show the world that I can catch. I mean, maybe, maybe that happens, but I would say that's less likely than him losing confidence and being even worse. Tredavious White manhandled Chase Claypool. Oh boy. What is this? Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) Tredavious White, manhandled uh, Chase Claypool, and that's something I'm not surprised about at all. James Conner doesn't look good, nearly as good, as he did earlier in the season. He was 10 carries for 18 yards versus the Bills' defense, which has not been great versus stopping running backs. So that's concerning. Josh Allen has a decent day, better than I would have expected, but not too much better than I expected because we know he always has that ability running the ball to give him a really high floor. The Bills' running backs are horrible, what's new? Stephon Diggs is great, what's new? And Gabriel Davis is looking like a good find for Dynasty Leagues. He could develop into a wide receiver 2 or 3 for the future. John Brown is 30 years old, and he's also coming off an injury now. And Cole Beasley is there, but he's their slot guy. Gabriel Davis could be the wide receiver 2. I would say at least, at least, or at worst, he's the wide receiver 3 next year and if they continue throwing the ball 60% of the time like they have been this season he could be really successful and you know in deep leagues somebody that you're starting every week in dynasty league so he's a great find and that brings us to the end of the, the recaps the game recaps so now we're going to the hits and whiffs and we'll start with the hits as always ronald jones versus the vikings I told you guys to start him up with confidence 16 and a half points i would say that's a success right there david montgomery versus the texans told you guys slam David Montgomery one of the highest scoring running backs on the week with 24 and a half points Jonathan Taylor versus the Raiders same situation as Montgomery said start him up with confidence and he I think was the RB1 on the week with almost 180 yards and two touchdowns the Falcons wide receivers versus the Chargers Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley both scored 15 plus Russell Gage had that fluky touchdown pass so got lucky in that regard but still turned out the points, and then Jared Goff as a sit versus the Patriots, only 16 points at the quarterback position, that is not good, I also said sit Cam Newton versus the Rams, he got benched, got sub five points, so that was not good either, Devin Singletary versus the Steelers, some people were thinking, hey, he's taking the carries, he, you know, Zach Moss fumbled, and Zach Moss was benched the rest of the game last week, Singletary might be a good start versus Steelers, told you guys to sit him that's not the case the bills running backs we don't want to touch them and once again the bills running backs were bad raheem mostert i was seeing the the washington d line and i was worried and i was seeing the fact that jeff wilson was getting red zone carries last week and i was worried told you guys sit raheem mostert that was a good call too and then we only were one and four on the betting lines super disappointing there. But the one that I did get right was the Cowboys minus three to cover versus the Bengals. They won thirty to seven. Now let's move over to the whiffs. Mike Glennon and Colin Johnson had them as a duo that were worth starting if you needed to, or in deep leagues for Colin Johnson maybe uh, mainly, but Mike Glennon I liked in superflex. The benching for Mike Glennon ruined both of them. Mike Williams versus Falcons. I, he was set up for a great game, but he didn't have one due to injury. So, I mean, not really on me, but I still told you guys to start him, and he didn't come through, so that's my bad. Same thing with Matt Stafford versus the Packers. He got injured as well. And then the betting lines. Patriots plus five versus the Rams. Missed out on that. The Rams dominated. Cam Newton was really bad. Took the over 52 points on the Bucks vikings game. There was 40 points. The Vikings had an eight-minute drive. They also left 11 points on the board with missed kicks. And all the Vikings drives were long. There was no big play. So they kept the Bucks off the field, which is a quick hit offense. And they kept that offense on the sidelines for as much as possible, which really made it hard for the Bucks to put up a lot of points. And then the 49ers, I thought they would cover versus Washington. They did not because Chase Young is a budding superstar. And, you know, what might be like the next JJY, Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack level type of player, on the defensive side of the ball. I really believe that. And I love the D-line that they're building in Washington. And then the over-under in the uh, Falcons-Chargers game that we talked about earlier, because six turnovers, not helpful. And the Chargers, when they should have a guaranteed three points before halftime and possibly a touchdown, getting zero, also not optimal there. So missed on the betting lines, but I fully expect a bounce back next week. Uh, So stay with me. That brings us to... Let's see, 4-1, 4-1, that's 8-2, and, and then a 1-4. So that brings us to 9-6. and six. So we're still in the money. Let's keep it going that way. With that said, guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you are still alive, and I wish you guys luck next week. I wish your NFL teams luck, unless, of course, you're an Atlanta Falcons fan because you're playing my Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers need to win. And honestly, if you're a Falcons fan, you should be rooting for a loss so you can get a better draft pick. And you guys are getting a new coach anyways, so really, like, I'm not worried about the culture if I'm a Falcons fan. So get the loss, you know, do the do the smart thing. Help yourself get a better position for maybe a quarterback, maybe a quarterback change over Matt Ryan, another guy in a quarterback shuffle that I'm excited to talk about on a future podcast in the offseason. With that said, guys, I'm your host, Brandon. Have a good week. Peace.